message is brought to you by Volvo of America. Just kidding. Isn't that a cute? Y'all say it with me. Aw, isn't that sweet? You know why that video is moving? Uh, it's because it's just a little glimpse of the way God has created us and how we all want our relationship with Heavenly Dad to be like. And that's why when you see stuff like that, no matter who you are, there's this natural reaction of, man, isn't that precious? Because in reality, that's how we are created, to love to see that father-child connection be so, so intimate and so adorable. It's kind of a natural thing. By the way, I'm Joe Davis. I'm the lead teacher here in the garden. I'm excited after a month off to get to be able to preach again today. So it's been a long time. And we're doing this series called Move Over. And what it is, it's a lectionary series uh, started in the Old Testament. Now it's moved to the book of Mark. And the idea behind it is what things in, in your life need to move over to make room for Jesus. Uh, prepare the way of the Lord. So today's sermon is called Daddy's Little Girls. And it's taken from Mark chapter 5, 22 to 43. And what I've done is I've actually taken a synopsis. Here's what a synopsis is. This story is actually in the Gospel of Luke and it's in Mark. And so what I did this week is I took hours and hours just for you. No, it took me about 20 minutes. What I did was I took the story in the gospel of Luke and I meshed it with the story of the gospel of Mark and did some editing and took some words out that were repetitive and made it flow into one big story. And so what I'm going to do is actually read to you uh, the story as it's accounted to in both gospels together. So that's the way we're going to do. And you see the pictures up there of two girls, two daughters, if you will. So we're going to go and let me just kind of go right through the scripture now. We're going to start in verse 1 of my synopsis. It's in Luke chapter 8 and in Mark chapter 5, and I put them together. So just kind of follow along, and every once in a while I'll throw a verse up there for you to read with me. And so it was when Jesus had returned that the multitude welcomed him, for they were all wanting to be here with him and waiting for him. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came. His name was Jairus. And, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at Jesus' feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Can you please come lay your hand on her that she may be healed and that she will live? For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. But as Jesus went to the house, many, many people followed him. Now, there was a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years. Notice that the daughter is 12, and the woman who follows Jesus has been sick for 12 years. Scripture does that on purpose. I love when Scripture does that. That's why every word of passage is important. That's why the Word of God is inspired. That's why it's authoritative, because there are details that cannot be left out. She had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all the money that she had, and she had gotten no better. In fact, the Scripture says she grew worse. She said, only if I go and touch the clothing of Jesus, I shall be made well. So she came from behind and touched the border of his garment, and immediately, and this was a sickness she had, so you understand she was kind of unsightly, immediately her flow of blood stopped. And she felt in her body that she was made whole from her affliction. And Jesus turned around in the crowd. This is a huge crowd. They're all yelling and clamoring. Jesus turned around. They're all bumping up against him, right? Jesus turns around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? And then when all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes throng and press you. And you say, who touched me? But Jesus said, no, somebody touched me. For I perceived the power going out of me. And he looked around to see her 
who had done this thing. But the woman was fearful and trembling, knowing what had happened to her. She'd been healed, so clearly she knows she's been in contact with, with God. Saw that she was not hidden. She couldn't hide. Jesus knew. He turned around and he knew who she was. And she came to him trembling. And she fell down before him. And she declared to him in the presence of all the people, a big crowd, the reason that she had touched him and how she, can you imagine? No, Jesus, listen, it was me. And let me tell you what happened. I was sick and all these, and I came and I, and now I'm healed. Immediately. And this next verse, when I was studying this passage, I actually, it actually made me cry. Look what he says to her. And he says to her, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. So there's this dad, right? And this dad is doing everything he can to get Jesus next to his daughter. And then there's this woman, this older woman, who is now broke because she's been sick for 12 years and the doctors couldn't help her. She doesn't have any money, any dad, anybody that gives a rip about her. And Jesus heals her. And while he's going to this, this guy, by the way, Jairus, is well known. He's going to talk to this daughter and he stops and he calls this lonely, desperate woman daughter. This woman who had no one suddenly has a dad. And while he was still speaking to her, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house, from Jairus' house, right? Saying to him, your daughter is dead. Don't trouble Jesus anymore. But when Jesus heard it, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, don't be afraid. Only believe that she will be made well. When he came into the house, he saw a huge crowd along with those who wept and cried loudly. And he said to them, why are you making all this commotion? And why are you crying? The child is not dead, but is merely sleeping. And then Jesus ridiculed, or and they ridiculed him. They ridiculed Jesus, knowing that she was dead. You know what he says? Get out of here. He puts them all outside. Go to your room. No soup for you. Come back one year. Seinfeld reference there. He permitted no one to go in the house except for Peter, James, John, and the parents of the little girl. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha kumai, which is translated little girl, little maiden. I say to you, it's, and it's an affectionate term. It doesn't mean, hey, little girl. It means precious girl. Almost like calling her daughter, right? Precious maiden, arise. And immediately her spirit returned, and the girl arose and walked, and she was 12 years of age. And they were overcome with amazement. And he commanded that she be given something to eat. That's good. She's probably hungry after being dead. You know, he doesn't leave anything out. And her parents were astonished. But he said, don't tell anyone what's happened. What? (laughs) You just raised our daughter from... You can understand why it's emotional for me, right? You can understand why this passage... And they were astonished, but he said, don't tell anyone. So isn't that an amazing story? Let's look at the history. As you guys know, we like to take a passage, and we feel like in the garden, for us to really understand what we're supposed to do with it, we have to understand three different applications of Scripture. We have to understand the history. 
What about man? What did he do? Why did he do it? And we have to understand the theology. What about God? And what did God do? And why did God do it? And then and only then can we understand the devotional application. What about me? What am I supposed to do? And why do I do it? So let's look at the history. Jarius is very well known by the religious. He is well off. And he is a leader in the Jewish community. It would be big news that a synagogue leader would be seeking Jesus to help his daughter. That is not insignificant, guys. And he is determined to do whatever it takes to get Jesus next to his daughter so that she can be healed. This is the passion of an earthly father. And we can, if you're a dad, you can relate to that. You know what else he knows? He is out of options. And Jesus is the only option he has left. He has been placed in a desperate situation. Never mind that his employer, the leaders of the temple, don't like Jesus. Forget about that part for just a moment. This dad knows, this leader in the synagogue knows the deal. That his religion is worthless when it comes to saving his daughter. And that faith in Jesus is what he needs and what she needs. He was risking a lot here, guys. He could lose his job. He could lose his reputation. He could lose his daughter if Jesus doesn't come through. But he has no other options. And so because the stakes are high, there is a big crowd that is focused on this story of Jairus' daughter. Everybody wants to know what's going to happen to this girl. What's going on with this leader that we all know, this leader in the synagogue, he's going to Jesus like he has no other choice. We've got to see what's going to go on here. And then in the midst of this, a woman who's sick for 12 years, the same age as the daughter, with no earthly dad to help her, just like Jairus, she is out of options. This woman is out of options. She'd spent all her money for 12 years, The same amount of time Jairus' daughter had been alive, the doctors couldn't heal her. She was broke. She was sick. She's unsightly with the flow of blood. And she's dying. And then, you read the story with me, the older woman is healed. And Jesus turns and calls her daughter. And it really did take my breath away when I just stopped. Because I never really thought about that part of the story before. I've read this story plenty of times, you know. But... I can't imagine what she must have been feeling when he turned and called her daughter. Nobody cares that he calls her daughter except Jesus. In fact, I think the crowd may have been a bit annoyed that he stopped the mess with this old woman when Jairus' daughter is dying any second and you're going to stop and waste time? And while he's still saying, daughter, your faith has made you whole. While he's saying that, the scripture says, the little girl dies. She's dead. Jesus wasted too much time. Don't bother him anymore. There's nothing he can do. Then he kicks out the doubters and he resurrects the girl. We could close in prayer right there, right? I mean, that's a pretty amazing story. I just love this story. But we got to look at the theological part of this. Jesus was the only option left for healing. 
They couldn't rely on religion. They couldn't rely on money. They couldn't rely on doctors. They couldn't rely on anything but Jesus. It's funny how God does that to us sometimes, isn't it? How he takes away everything that we hope in and only gives us one thing, him. And there's a scary times, but that's what Jesus did here. You know what else Jesus does? What else God does? He loves both daughters, even though the crowd had a clear favorite. The crowd had a favorite in this contest. But he doesn't value one above the other. He sees them both as objects of his compassion and his power and his redemption and his love. He heals both daughters. I bet you a lot of the crowd didn't even recognize that he healed this one. Because while he's still saying, daughter, your faith is made. Jesus, don't worry about it. The da-. They probably didn't even notice that she was healed. But he knew. Jesus was a dad to both daughters, healing them, resurrecting and calling one daughter is a claim. This is important. You know what he's really doing here? He's not just being a loving dad. He's claiming to be God. He's God the Father. He's in charge of sickness and healing and redemption and the universe, and he's also our dad. So he does a lot there, right? That's the theological part. And the reason that we have to understand the theological is because here's why. God doesn't change. The way God dealt with men in history is the way God deals with men now. That's why the theology is important in a passage because we might go with the wind, but God does not change. So let's talk about the devotional side of this story. What about you? What about me? What are we supposed to do? Why do we do it? You know, it's easy for us in this story to focus on Jairus. Did I lose that slide? Bring that back up. It's easy for us to focus on Jairus. How he must have felt at different times in the story. Can you imagine the roller coaster of emotions this guy is having? Jesus, come get my daughter. Okay, great. He's coming. Let's go. Why are you stopping to talk to this woman? Hurry up. Heal her quick. She's your daughter? Okay, whatever. My daughter's dead. I mean, can you imagine the roller coaster of emotions this guy's feeling? It's easy to focus on the crowd, isn't it? What they must be thinking. It's easy to focus on the little girl and the woman, right? I mean, it is. It's easy to even focus on the miracles of healing and resurrection. But that's not where our focus should be, guys. The focus should be on two things. Ready? Two things to hone in on this morning. First of all, I want you to look at the connection Jesus created with his two daughters. And I got to tell you, I don't know about you, but as I read this story and I think about, just do me a favor. I want you to transition into being them for a moment. I'm a little envious of the connection they felt that moment. I mean, the intimate compassion that Jesus has for both daughters is so moving How do you think the woman felt to Jesus, toward Jesus at that moment, even in the midst of a huge crowd when he heals her and says, daughter, what do you think is going through her mind? Aren't you a little envious of the emotion that she was feeling about God at that moment? Don't you wish, man, I wish I could just capture what she must have been feeling. I'm jealous of what she felt. 
I'm not jealous of her desperation, but I'm jealous of the result of it. What kind of connection do you think she felt to Jesus at that moment? How do you think the little girl felt when the first thing she sees when she wakes up is Jesus? Do you think her parents felt kind of strange? There was this amazing, for this moment, there was this amazing intimate connection with Jesus for these two women. This connection was transformative, and it tied them to Jesus in a ridiculously close, intimate way that changed the rest of their lives. I can imagine the woman who was sick and called daughter was never the same. I bet you her values changed. I bet you things she thought was important before weren't as important now. I bet when the daughter was resurrected from her deathbed and the first thing she sees is Jesus and Jesus says, give her something to eat, I bet you she was thinking, I just got redeemed and resurrected by God. I bet she became quite a mouthpiece for Jesus later on after his death and resurrection. What do you think? I bet the woman who was healed, I bet you she had no problem being part of the new church. How about you? You think, do you think she, you know, I, you know, I appreciate you calling me daughter, but I think I'm just going to stay over here. I bet you she couldn't stop talking about what Jesus did to her. I'm jealous of this. Aren't you jealous? Don't you wish you could just, just for a moment, tap into what they were feeling and what it could possibly do? I know we don't want the desperation. I get that. But we sure want the result of it, don't we? So what is that common ingredient that brought both daughters to this connection? You really want to know? They were desperate children of God. Circumstances brought both daughters to the point that Jesus was the only option that they had. All other things failed them. And you know what happens, guys? This is, this is what's going on in your lives. Jesus did not, at that moment, this is important to get, okay? Understand the contrast. He did not just captivate their heart. He also captivated their hope. Do you see the difference? I mean, if you're here, I can see how Jesus has captivated a part of your heart. But I feel like for us to really, as a church, to go where we need to go in our intimacy with Christ, he also needs to captivate our hope. So the question I have for you is, how do we take how do we take being a child of God out of the theoretical and make it practical and powerful? Like in theory, we know that God can heal. In theory, we know that God can save. In theory, we know that God can resurrect. In theory, we know that He's our Heavenly Father. We matter of fact, a lot of us start prayers that way. Heavenly Father. But it's all theoretical, really, isn't it? Unless you really experience and feel like a child of God. How do you actually feel like a child of God? I'll tell you how. By realizing that Jesus is our only option, we experience the transforming connection of being children of God. Are you with me? You follow where I'm going here? So a question for you. What other options is your hope in? What other options for peace, 
and hope and purpose and happiness and provision are in the way of a life-changing intimate connection with Heavenly Dad? What other things in your life are in the way of having your hope captivated? Is it a person or persons? Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's a friend. Don't laugh. Maybe it's a dog. People love their dogs now. That dog's going to make me happy. That person's going to make me happy. That family member's going to... Is it money or possessions? Is your hope in earthly things? Maybe your hope is in some sort of profession or some sort of personal accomplishment. Building a business or getting a promotion or getting through college so you can get that good job that you've always wanted. Maybe your hope is in religion or your progress in religion or your performance as a church person. Maybe your hope for connection, that emotional, intimate connection with Heavenly Dad is based upon how good you can be here in this building in front of other people. Are you willing to embrace desperation? I can tell you the stakes are really high when you get desperate, aren't they? But the payoff is huge. It's like a child trusting a dad in the pool for the first time. I'm not going to let you drown. Come swim to me. No way. I'm not going to let go of this thing. I'm, I'm going to hang on to the edge of the pool. Come on. It's only three feet. No, I'm going to fall to the pool and I'm going to drown. And then finally, for the first time, the kid says, okay, I got to trust this man. And they swim out. And dad is right there. That's what we need to be if we want to experience what the daughters did. So what will it take? Skip all that, sorry. I get so rolling, sometimes I forget I have more stuff up there. What will it take to make you a desperate child of God? Do you even want to be a desperate child of God? I don't know. I'm assuming you do, but maybe you don't. I know I do. So I have a slide I'm going to put up here. And it's the two pictures. You see the one of the woman touching the garment and the one of the, the, the girl being resurrected, right? You see that picture. Desperate daughters with only one hope. And that was that Heavenly Dad would recognize them, heal them, and save their life. So what I'd like for you to do for just a moment, if I could ask you to do this, is just imagine yourself as one of those daughters. Just think of yourself. What is it going to take to make me desperate? What is it going to take to make me realize that everything I have my trust and hope in will let me down and Jesus and Heavenly Daddy are my only options. Because I will tell you, once you get to that desperation point is when you will hear Jesus turn around and say, Son, daughter, your faith has healed you. And at that moment, I don't know if it's physical healing or emotional or spiritual or financial. I have no idea. All of them. But at that moment, guys, at that moment, you will feel intimacy with God that you never thought possible. 
Are you brave enough to pray for desperation? Are you? I'm challenging you. I'm, I'm, I'm throwing it in your face right now. Are you brave enough to pray for desperation so that you can have connection so deep it blows your mind? love so undeniable I 
hardly speak peace so unexplainable I I can hardly think as you call me deeper still as you call me deeper still yes you call me deeper still into love love lord you call me deeper still and you call me deeper still as you call me deeper still into love love you're a good good father it's who you are to you are and I'm loved by you it's who I am who I am you're a good good father it's who you are it's who you are it's who you are and I'm loved by you Thank you for this time together today. We thank you for being a father. And I, I know, Lord, some of us in this room kind of maybe can't relate to what it means to have a good father. Lord, I ask that you surround uh, that person with yourself. And they come to know you, and they put their hope in you, and they connect with you, and they realize that you are a good father and that your love never fails. (laughs) And they grow deeper, and they grow deeper, and they grow deeper, and they grow deeper, and they want to know you more, and they want to love you more, and they want to serve you more. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of your son, the gift of his healing that he has given to all of us through the cross. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.